Um, if you were here with us last week when we looked at the tail end of chapter four, we're, we're looking at the, the event of all events, yeah? The, that, that final moment in history where everything gets wrapped up. Um, the second, is that the rain? It's lovely. The, the second coming of Jesus is the event actually that comes up right throughout this letter. If you've been with us in this series, you'll notice Paul just keeps dropping it in at the end of paragraphs because he's been giving instruction and he says it's because Jesus is going to return. In Paul's mind, it's pretty clear that everything about life, insofar as how you think about life, the decisions you make, what you choose to do, what you choose not to do, apparently hangs off a confidence in this event that's coming in the future, which is defining in many ways. This, this event, which is the second coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus, the, the, the day of the Lord. And um, we looked at it in particular last week at the tail end of chapter four and this week at the start of chapter five. And by the way, in the original, there's no chapter divisions anyway, so it's just one long discussion about this here. Um, but apparently when this day comes, and it, it, it's not, I'm not gonna suggest it's easy for us to get our minds into this day, by the way, because our minds, aren't they just so full of all the things we need to be thinking about just to make life work on the daily basis here? And, th- and then you open the scriptures and you come to church and we're talking about this day in the future that is so spectacular um, and, and defining that it's kind of hard to get your head there. So we've got to work hard. We, we need God's help to get our minds and hearts into this day that's going to come, the day of the Lord. Apparently on this day, there's going to be two kinds of people. One kind of person is the person who's going to be shocked by it. Yep, completely surprised. They're going to feel really blindsided by it. They had no idea it was coming and they didn't see it coming. That, that's one type of person. And can I say there will be many, many, many people who feel this way when Jesus returns. I'm just walking past the pub on the way in here tonight. Um, I'm just aware that there's more people, like this is good what's happening here, but you need to, there are more people at the pub right now, yeah? Making more noise, it's a different kind of noise. There are people just living their life, and, and like if you've been to the pub today, I'm not trying to have a big go at you or anything like that, but there are more people um, just living their lives oblivious to this event that's coming in the future than there are those who are aware of it, anticipating it. On this day that comes, there'll be those who are surprised and there'll be those who are ready, um, anticipating, waiting, watching, and when the day comes, instead of being shocked, they're like, finally, let's go. Yep, two kinds of people. The the first kind of person is described there in the first three verses of chapter five. And then the rest of the passage from four down to 11 is, is speaking about and speaking to the people who are ready and waiting and what other kind of lives that we are to live when you're waiting anyway. What does it mean to wait and anticipate this day that is to come? Ah. It's the most clarifying moment in history, really. It's the great reckoning. It's the day when Jesus will return, he'll gather his people and he'll judge the world. But what will it be like for those who are shocked by it? Look at verses one, two and three. Um, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. For those who have lived oblivious to the whole Jesus thing or actively refusing and ignoring the whole Jesus thing, that there is a God who made this and loves us and we exist for him. For those who live their entire lives just keeping their distance from that, from Christianity, will experience the return of Jesus like he's a thief in the night. That's not a nice thing to experience. The whole concept of a thief coming in the night is that you're not ready for them and they come and they take. And for those who are far from Jesus, this is what it will be like. They'll be completely caught out. These are the ones who, though, are just living as usual, going about their life. You see that little phrase there, while they say peace and safety, which is just, you know, have a good one, stay well, peace, you know, just all the things we say to each other, travel safely, get on with life, do it. While, while all those things are happening and they're not expecting anything to change and things are going to go on as usual and it's about the same old, same old, boom, Jesus is going to return. And it's going to be sudden for them. And the tragedy is that it will mean sudden destruction for them. It's heavy. Destruction will come suddenly. As labour pains on a pregnant woman, they will not escape. <laughs> um, pregnancy and birth are wonderful things, aren't they? Uh, but this is kind of used in this situation to talk about the moment that the labour pains come suddenly on a woman. Um, and you cannot predict when the labour is going to begin. If you're pregnant, everyone asks you, oh, when are you due? When are you due? And you know, we try and give a date, but you really don't know, do you? It's better to safer to give a window. It's like, oh, sometime in October. Um, but really, you don't know, I guess, unless you get induced or something like that. You're just waiting. And then all of a sudden, labour just comes on you. Um, my sister, when she, I think it was my sister. I've heard about this happening for a number of women. Labour's begun and they've been going for ages and they're in hospital and it's dragging on and they're done. They want out. And so they decide, that's it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to get in my car. I'm going to go home. I don't, it's over. <laughs> to which the support person or the midwife or the doctor or wherever you go says, uh, yeah, you, you can't actually step out of this. This thing started. It's going gonna, it's gonna to run its course. <laughs> you know, there's no way out of this. And, and this is, that moment is used to kind of say, once Jesus returns, it's, it's, there's no way out. You know, there's no escape from this. There's no last minute, oh, here's Jesus. Oh, good, I'll repent as I see him coming. It'll come suddenly. And if you haven't already decided to put your trust in Jesus, it's too late and it's horrific. Yep. And we're just working our way through scripture here, looking at the horror, the wrath that's actually going to come for those who live resisting the one who loves them. Yeah? Don't be that person. Some of you are still in that category and you've got lots of questions and you've got doubts and you're trying to work it out. Keep pressing in to work this one out. Don't give up on this one. Like whether Jesus is the Lord and whether he really is going to come back. This is the big one to sort out. And just know that when the, when the gospel gets brought to you, this is not simply come and get a bit of Jesus and it'll just make your life better. Right? 
Often the gospel does get preached in that way. And, and I'll say flat out, oh, following Jesus is the best thing you will ever do with your life. You get to know who made you, why you're here, what you're meant to do. You get to have confidence in the future. It's wonderful. It's absolutely the best. But to simply think um, that you become a Christian just to make this life a little bit better. No, no. You, you come to Christ to avoid the wrath that you deserve and to live for him and with him for eternity. Yeah? And we don't ever want to miss the tragedy that's coming for those who resist. Yeah. And then you get to the next category, the category of people who instead of um, being horrified by the return of Jesus, are, their hearts are just exploding with joy. Yep. And um, these are those who Paul addresses as brothers and sisters, those who have been joined to Jesus and are now part of his family and are waiting for his return. Let's read it there. He says, um, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. In other words, yeah, if you're a Christian, Jesus' coming ought not surprise you like a thief. It shouldn't be, you ought not be experiencing that moment in the same way others do. It doesn't need to surprise you like a thief. You are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So let us not, so, so then let us not, um, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Some of you have been reflecting on these verses throughout the week. They're, they're, they're awesome. Um, if you're a Christian, you get to anticipate this day and not be in the dark about it. it it's, it's like you get to be someone for whom the lights have come on and you can see clearly what this is, like what this life is and where it's all heading. And there's got to be nothing better than seeing clearly, am I right? It's not going to be a surprise for Christians when Jesus returns. It's not going to be like a thief. For the Christian is someone who sees it coming and they're ready for it and they're picturing it and you're living for it. It's the day where Jesus returns to gather us up and take us to be with him forever. How beautiful to not be in the dark about a moment like that that's coming. Now, just to clarify that doesn't necessarily mean that as Christians you get to know exactly the moment when it's going to happen. Yep. I mean, Paul starts this by saying about times and dates we do not need to write to you. Yeah, and that could be meaning a few different things. I think it at least means the fact that really the big thing for you is, to not, is not knowing the exact time and date. That's not the big thing you need to get sorted. There's other bigger things and that's what he goes on to address. And that's really important if you're a Christian um, you will in your lifetime hear someone claim to know when Jesus is going to return. And I say that because it's happened for decades and decades and decades. There'll be some false prophet who claims to have figured it out, usually by some obscure reading of some obscure text in the scripture. And they put out definitively, Jesus is going to return on the 21st of November this year. And so here's what you need to do to prepare. And it's usually got something to do with you need to sell your house and give all your money to me to support what I'm doing. And let's get ready for the second coming. 
Time and time and time again, it's happened through history and well-meaning Christians with hearts that want to serve Jesus and be ready for him get sucked up into false teaching like this because they're not got their own Bibles open and working hard to read what's really obvious, which is you will not know the exact date or time when it's going to happen. I remember one of these false prophets, it's happened so many times, I can't remember who they all are. I remember one time it happened, someone confronted him and said, well, what do you make of Jesus? Jesus' own words, uh, where Jesus says, well, no one knows the, um, the day or the hour. You know, not even the Son, only the Father in heaven. And, and the way this guy replied was, oh, yeah, no one knows the day or the hour, but you can get pretty close with the month and you can get spot on with the year. <laughs> I kid you not. Oh, it's classic. Back in Matthew chapter 24, and if you've been reading the daily reading guide, you'll know some of these passages have coming up. You need to be doing some reading around this kind of topic. Matthew 24, Jesus mentions all the signs that you can be looking for, which will tell you when the coming of Jesus is going to be close. Let me go through the list of things that if they're happening or have happened, you know Jesus is going to return soon. Let me read you the list, and in your mind, you give me a tick if this has happened yet, all right? Wars. Tick. Maybe I'll say the ticks for you, all right? Famine, tick. Kind of anywhere in the world. Earthquakes, tick. People ignoring God, yep, tick. Um, an increase in wickedness and less love, tick. Um, the gospel being preached in all the countries and all the nations of the world. There might be the odd tribe in a certain place, but pretty much all the nations. Yep, the gospel's been preached. This is one of the key things that actually drove missionary endeavour in the early 1900s. We've got to get to every nation. It's happened. You might argue that point. Um, False prophets making claims about things that are proven to be untrue. Tick. Christians being persecuted and even being killed. You might say, well, not in Coffs Harbour. Well, not killed in Coffs Harbour. But in other places in the world, at almost any point in history, there's Christians being persecuted. So when you work through that list, that that would basically tell me, well, we probably need to be ready all the time. Because I think most of the stuff's happened. The only thing that would possibly lead you to think, no, there's still a bit more, I would suggest is reading on in Paul's writing to the Thessalonians. You get into 2 Thessalonians and Paul speaks there in chapter 2 and we'll get there eventually in church, but you might want to read on there. He speaks about the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness and attached with the man of lawlessness appears to be this great rebellion and abomination that causes desolation. I think there might be things that are discussed there that haven't happened yet or might happen all at the same time. There might be this ramping up um, of persecution and killing of Christians in every nation and this man of lawlessness that's leading the way. You can imagine whenever you get this language of man of lawlessness or antichrist, you can imagine any point in history, Christians going, oh, I think it's them. And, and, you know, as if it wasn't Hitler, then everyone would have thought that, you know. Every moment in history, there's been figures, the Christians have of thought, well, it's probably them, so it's probably going to happen. And it could. It could be them and it could happen, but there's been no shortage of that and, and life has gone on. It's actually possible, I think, and here's a little warning, it's possible to get fixated on trying to identify um, the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness in your lifetime. 
which might happen, but it's possible to be fixated on it and, and just obsessed with it in the kind of way that you end up spending all of your time trying to, trying to spot it early. And I think that's one of the tracks that can lead a person down pretty heavy conspiracy theory and almost being paralysed to live the kind of life that we're directed to live in the here and now. So be careful of that fixation. But I, I, I just want to be honest to say, I think we need to be aware that I think most of this has already happened. We should be ready for the second coming of Jesus. But I think it's likely if you go to 2 Thessalonians, there's going to be a ramping up of hecticness. You can take me to town on that, everyone. Are you the kind of person, though, that when you hear about the second coming of Jesus, you're not very interested? Like, just be honest with yourself. What goes on in your mind and your heart when you, when, when, you, when you read about it or you hear it preached on? Do you just really quickly go, yeah, not in my day? It could be for a few different reasons. It could be because you want to distance yourself from other Christians who you consider to be a little crazy and you just want to get a bit of distance so you don't want to get involved in talking about that. But, but is it the case that you... That, that, you really don't spend time thinking about the second coming because you, maybe you just don't think it's going to happen. You don't think it can happen. You're not actually anticipating that it will happen. And if that's the case, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to take seriously the Scriptures and, and don't think this can't happen in your time. Don't think this won't happen at some point in history. When Paul speaks about this, he goes on to give very everyday application and how we ought to be living with this in mind. For Paul, the apostle, you know, certainly for him is not just this faint, distant thing in the future that you don't need to worry much about. It ought to drive your living and decisions and life now on this earth. So let's have a little look at that again. Come back to the passage with me. Um, Verse 6, he says there, So then let us not be like others who are asleep. And when he uses the word asleep there, that's different from how he used it back in chapter 4 when he used it to talk about those who have died. Now he's actually talking about people on earth who are asleep. And then a few verses down, he uses it again like he did back in chapter 4. That's a little bit confusing, but he's using the word asleep differently in this passage. Um, He says, let us not be like others who are asleep and let us be awake and sober. Uses that language of sober, which is interesting. Mm. Um, verse eight. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Now, what's going on here? The Christian who's waiting for the second coming is described as being a child of the day, you know, living in the day. It's it's really beautiful imagery um, because the difference between day and night is the difference between knowing what's going on around you and knowing what's coming at you and being oblivious to it and bouncing around the dark. I remember one time going on a camp and getting there 
uh, and going to sleep and not knowing that in the middle of the night a lot more people had arrived and I was sleeping in the lounge room. And I just got up in the middle of the night to just walk, I, I was probably bathroom or something like that, and just started trouncing through the lounge room. And of course, I just tripped over everyone sleeping in the lounge room. It was just, it, it, was, it was a nightmare, everyone screaming and carrying on. But what was I meant to do? I couldn't see them. You can't see in the dark. You bumble around, you trip over, you don't know what's going on around you. And this imagery here is used to help us understand the difference between a Christian and someone who doesn't know Christ. It's like night and day. You get to see what's going on around you and that's going to help you walk through it without tripping over and hurting other people as much as you will. And so here's this language of night and day. We don't belong to the darkness we belong to the day. You know, Jesus talks, well, Paul talks about that in one of his other letters. He says, you've been redeemed from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. So live as children of the light. It's beautiful to be able to see what's around us. It's awesome to be able to see what's coming ahead. It's wonderful not to be, have to bumble around in the dark. And um, The language that Paul uses there is it says it's, it's like you get to be awake and he talks about being awake and being sober in compared to being asleep and being drunk and not knowing what's around you. So, you know, read on with me there. It says, um, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. Now, with... Um, So I'm just looking down and thinking, what is that that I've written there? <laughs> a little moment. Have you ever been to a gathering where you're one of the very few people who is sober and um, the, the vast majority of everyone else there um, is intoxicated? Um, what becomes really clear is that it's like you're on a different planet. Yeah, like they're experiencing this moment, the very same moment you're in at a really different level. They're laughing at everything. Everything's funny. And you're thinking, that's not funny. You know, they're, they're knocking into each other and not seeing what's coming for each other in a way that they can get hurt or damaged when you can actually keep yourself safe. You've got your wits about you. You can see what's going on. You can stay stable. It's a, it's, it's a really big difference, Yeah. And, and Paul's like, well, that's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian in this world. We get, to, we get to see what's going on and be able to protect ourselves and others and see what's coming, like the difference between someone who's sober and others who are drunk. This is, it's, it's like night and day, isn't it? And, and really the, the, the concept here is that if you're someone who's waiting for the second coming, he says, be sober, which, which, which is just don't be drunk all the time. It's at least that. But it's more than that. When Paul uses the word sober, he's, he's thinking more generally, be sober-minded in the way you live. You know, be clear thinking in how you make decisions. And, and, and that's what Paul really kind of leads us into. If we're going to be people who wait for the second coming, um, live like you're awake and you're sober. Awake and sober. And those two little bits of imagery, there's lots of imagery in this passage actually. He says, put on, see the, the armour that we're told to put on here? Look at verse 7 or verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. 
Um, now, if you've read Paul's writing to the Ephesians, you know, chapter six is the armour of God where you get lots more pieces of armour. But here he brings in this imagery into this letter which tells you something about life as we wait. It tells you that there's some armour that needs to be put on. It it tells you that um, we need to be on guard in some way. And it almost tells you where the two most important things for a person are. We're to put on the breastplate of faith and love. In Ephesians 6, it's the breastplate of righteousness. But a breastplate, for those of us who haven't been involved in ancient war, um, a breastplate protects your chest. I mean, it's why you've got a rib cage in your body is to protect your vital organs and particularly your heart. But if you want extra protection for your heart, you wear a breastplate. And, 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 and we're told here to protect your heart effectively. That's what Paul's saying. As you're waiting for the end times, put on a breastplate to protect your heart and put on a helmet to protect your head. Be on guard. This is important that you actually survive this. Now, just just on that, I think um, if you're going to go away from anything of my ramblings this afternoon from this passage, can you just go away with these two things? That to be a person who anticipates the second coming of Jesus, that you live these days guarding your heart and keeping your head. All right? Guarding your heart and keeping your head, which I think takes us into the two areas of life, which are not mutually exclusive, but um, guarding your emotions and your feelings and your longings and your desires. That's usually what the Bible means when it talks about the word heart. Guard those and guard your head. In other words, guard clear thinking in this life. So let me just kind of wrap up with just tapping into those two things. Guard your heart, keep your head. Your heart is the place where your desires emerge from and you are told to guard it, which, which means a number of things. I think it means to be aware that there's going to be some desires that sometimes come from your heart that are actually not honouring to God and you need to be aware that not all the desires and compulsions and longings that you have are good and God honouring. So guard your heart in that you watch your heart. You have a healthy distrust of some of the desires that will come from your heart because you understand that sin corrupts completely. So you're going to be aware of that. You're going to be watching your desires. You're going to be watching the affections that you develop in this life. You're going to be watching your cravings. And in all that, you're going to be trying to, like it says, put on the breastplate of faith and love. And that is to... um, Give your attention to what you put your trust and love toward is God. Because it's entirely possible to trust many things in this life. It's entirely possible to love many things in this life. But to guard your heart, guard your heart, guard your heart. You with me? Come on. Is to just be noticing what's happening in your heart and trying to direct it and guide it and steer it towards loving God and trusting in God in deeper and deeper ways in this life. Now, we've got Draw Near coming up in a few weeks' time, which is an attempt for us to put aside a few weeks where we intentionally try to chastise our own hearts. We try to put in place some healthy rhythms so that we direct our hearts towards loving the one who's deserving of all of the love that you could ever give him. He's deserving of all the affection you could ever pour out on him. He's he's the one who's deserving of having all your cravings be met in him and his love and not other things. So guard your heart. 
Guard your heart. I can see it's getting a little bit hot, isn't it? You're hot? Guard your heart and keep your head. It's not simply about noticing what's happening in your desires and your emotions and trying to steer them. Um, Clear thinking leads to clear living. Yep. I mean, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says um, there's a transforming that's to happen for us through a renewing of our mind. Let that ongoing renewing process happen day in, day out as you spend time in the Scriptures, having your mind renewed so that you think clearly about this life that you're living. If you can think clearly during your days here on earth, you can make decisions that are good and honouring to God and you can spend your life living in ways that actually bring honour to Him and draw others to Him. But if you let your mind go and you let it be impacted by everything that's around you all the time and you're not clear thinking with how you live, um, you, you'll miss out on this opportunity to live well for God as you wait. I've got one final little, I've got a few illustrations that just kind of came out just on the way here. So let me give you this one finally. And I think I'll finish on this. Yeah, I'll finish on this. And all the hot people said, oh, good, good. I didn't bring my fans with me today. That's one thing I forgot to, you know, those fans that sit out the front. They're not my fans, they're church's fans. They just live in my garage. They would be nice, wouldn't they? Wouldn't that be nice? Just picture a fan on you right now, okay? Um, we've got a couple of guys in the fire brigade here in church with us. I think it's about three of you guys. We used to have four. Uh, um, and one of my mates who's been in the fire brigade, Dino, for years, I would often try and pop in because I was always really intrigued on what they got up to during the day. You know, do these fire brigade guys who are sitting basically waiting for the bell to go so they can slide down the pole and get the Dalmatian and hop in the red fire truck, right? I don't think there's a pole. Is there a pole? There's no pole. While they sit there waiting, what do they do? Like, how do you wait for the bell to go? If you live in the city, there's not a lot of waiting. It's just constantly being called out. But in regional areas, you you, you can sit and wait and they do 24-hour shifts these days. That's a lot of waiting. Um, I used to try and pop in to see what they were doing and I was relieved to see a combination of two things. There was a level of resting, so they'd be ready to go, but, you know, the pants were on, you know? The boots were nearby, ready to grab. They weren't just tucked up in bed snoring. And certainly what wasn't going on is they weren't sitting around drinking. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if there was an emergency and and the fireys get called, but they've just been on the tinnies for a few hours and they're slow to move and they shouldn't be driving? It's it's not going to work, is it? So here we are. This image has just kind of come to mind. We're to live sober, anticipating, waiting. It doesn't mean we need to live every moment just completely tense. Like we need to rest in Jesus in this life, but our eyes need to be fixed and waiting, watching, hoping, ready for his return so that you would live diligent for Jesus and you wouldn't get distracted and stray with all the hundreds of lovely things you can get up to in this life. You stay focused, you're prepared, you're waiting for his coming. We need the help of God's Holy Spirit to help us wait like this and live like this. So let me pray that God would do that in us by his Spirit. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word to us about this final moment, the day of the Lord. 
the day when you will send your son Jesus in glory to gather your people and to judge the world. It's the day that ends it all. It's the day we want to be ready for. It's the day we want to prepare as many people as we can for. People need to be in Jesus when he arrives. Lord, would you, by your spirit, help us live well in the waiting? Please, Lord. We know we get easily distracted. We know we we easily get caught up in things. But Lord, we don't want to. We want to wait well. We want to live well. We want to be sober. We want to be awake, alert, clear minds, hearts that are focused. Please, Lord, by your spirit, help that to be the case for our sake and for the sake of hundreds and hundreds of others who in our lifetime could come to put their trust in you as well. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who's thinking, I don't have a big enough reason not to put my trust in Jesus. I'm just holding out and I don't know why. Lord, would you enable them? Would you soften their heart? Would you enable them even tonight to want to pray and put their trust in you and be ready for this moment your son returns? In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.